I hope as you come this morning in thankfulness to the Lord, especially as you view in the beautiful scenery, God's creation, hopefully you're thinking today of all that God has done for us, all that he has created for us, but more than anything is what he's done at the cross for us, because there was nothing that we could do. And when, if we sat here and we thought about all the things that God has done, our heart would be full, no doubt. And so that's what I want us to sing about. My heart is filled with thankfulness. Let's all stand as we sing.
As we're honored and privileged to come together as people of the Lord and believers, we come. The song says, Come, ye thankful people, come. This is a song more about the second coming of the Lord, taking his harvest home. And who's the harvest? We are the harvest, okay? So let's sing this Come, ye thankful people, come.
taken home. The reason why is because the Lord is our salvation. Not because we've prepared ourselves. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Let's sing this together. The Lord is my salvation.
Savior and our salvation. Amen. Thank you guys. Good morning. Uh, y'all can do better than that. Good morning. A lot better. In the NFL, before halftime and at the end of, toward the end of the fourth quarter, they have what's called the two-minute warning. How many of you knew that? You know, in the NBA, they have in the last two minutes before a quarter is about to end, they'll say two minutes, two minutes left in the first. They might say two minutes, two minutes left in the second. And it's a warning so that the players know, hey, we're about to come to a halftime. We're about to come to an end of a quarter. This morning, I want to warn you. I'm giving you a five-second warning. What we look at today is going to be difficult. If you brought arrows, you might throw them at me. It's very difficult stuff. But it's very important stuff. In fact, I think these two issues that we will talk about this morning, coupled with last week, are three of the most important behaviors in the life of a believer. And all of us are continuing to work on these with the help of the Lord. And on this side of glory, we will never be perfect in these things. So you don't need to walk out going, well, I have to be perfect in this. But you can have victory in these things with the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit. Did you know that? Upon salvation, 
you have the Spirit of God in your life and He will never leave you. If you're a player on the basketball court and a two-minute warning is given, two minutes, two minutes left in the quarter, you can ignore that or pay attention to that. I would encourage you not to ignore what we discussed this morning, but to take it in and allow the Spirit of God to work it out in your life. That's what the great part is. I can't work it out in your life. Ready? <laughs> can't do that. And you can't work it out in mine. But with the help of the Spirit, you can work it out in your life and I can work it out in mine. Because if you belong to Christ, it is a personal relationship with Him. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to remind you about the context that we are in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that's in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's many letters that he wrote. And he wrote it to a very healthy church. These guys are doing really well in their faith. But they have issues that they need to work through. And Paul reminds them of their conduct in chapter 5. How a believer is to behave. <laughs> Don't you love to talk about behavior? All God's people said, Amen. It's wonderful to talk about behavior. Many of you have children either sitting in front of you or beside you, and so I assume that every once in a while you have to talk about behavior. Isn't that fun to do? And all the kids said, yeah, it's fun to do, right? I want to remind us of the context of this passage because if Christian conduct is presented without context then it can be taken as legalism. It can be taken as a list of do's and don'ts. And while the list of do's and don'ts appear, within the framework of the context, you're more likely to go, hey, God has my best in mind. Do you believe that? How many of you believe God has your best as a believer in mind? Okay, so let's do what he says. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you remember what we said last week, just by way of review. We said he, he bakes us a cake, right? I'm making this analogy. He bakes us a cake in chapter 4. It's a beautiful cake. And he tells these believers in chapter 4 that those who have gone before them in death, they will join with one day... When the dead in Christ are raised. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, there were people around them that had died. Just like there are people around us that die that are in the faith. And so you ask the question, well, what's happened to these guys? What's going to go on? And Paul tells us and tells the Thessalonican believers, hey, this is a lot of good stuff here. Remember what he said in verse 15. He says... For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Listen to this. 
Wouldn't it be nice if we actually got to experience this? The Bible says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ. Uh Uh-oh. That's what he's trying to get across to these guys. They have concerns. He wants to eliminate their concern. And he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. What a scene that's going to be. And then he says, we who are alive and remain. Paul thought that he was going to be a part of that then. But he's going to be one that part of the dead in Christ. It says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with, together with them. Who? The dead in Christ. In the clouds to meet the Lord. And I want to remind you, heaven is about the Lord. To meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's a great comfort, right? And so he says, verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And and if you're one of those Thessalonian believers, you're like, hallelujah. Think about the number of people today that are walking around without any hope. All their focus is is COVID-19 and the election. Oh, this and that and this and that. Hey, man, I got good news for all of you guys who are in Christ today. We don't have to worry about those things. He's got it, number one. And our focus needs to be on what we can do now to glorify the Lord. Right? That's the issue for us. There's lots of things. Make you a list this afternoon. And so he says, therefore, because these things are true, comfort one another with these words. So he builds that cake, beautiful cake. The Lord's coming back. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to forever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the cake. Great cake. Good eating. If you're one of those Thessalonian believers, you're like, whoa, good cake. But then he puts icing on the cake. And he puts candles on top of that cake. And he tells them in chapter 5, hey, look, not only are you going to be with the Lord forever, but you're not going to endure the wrath to come. You're like, well, what's the big deal? Remember I said that last week? What's the big deal? Read Revelation chapter 6 through 18. It's a big deal. If you're not in Christ and you remain when the Lord comes, it's not going to be pretty. And John paints this picture for us of all these things that are going to take place After the Lord comes for his church. And in those seven years, which are called the tribulation period, there will be suffering and death and defeat. (laughs) But we won't be here if we're in Christ. But if you're not in Christ, and he comes today, you'll be here. So he tells them in chapter 5, verse 9, For God has not destined us, you have to love the pronoun, Paul includes himself in that, right? He's not destined us for wrath, and he's already said that back in chapter 1, verse 10. He's not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore... Encourage one another. In other words, walk beside one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. And if you're reading that and you're one of those Thessalonican believers, you're like, whoa. Why? 
awesome. But it doesn't stop there. He goes from doctrine to practice. He says, look, these are some great doctrinal truths, but I need to insert some things in here for you and for your protection. It's all from the Lord, the one who's coming to get you, and the one who is, who is um, not destined to you for wrath, for wrath. He's coming to get you, but these things are imperative for you in your life. We begin reading in verse 12, and we went through verse 22. But we stopped right in the middle to begin to discuss these three trilogy of truths. These things that are essential for the believer. And so we talked last week together about the issue of joy. Always, always, he says, rejoice. Difficult to do, class? Answer? Yes. If you're stuck in the happiness mindset, it's going to be rough. Okay? But if we, as believers, if we believe joy is unique, which it is, because it's an attitude that the Lord can give us to handle the rough stuff in life. How many of you have rough stuff in life from time to time? Sure you do. We all do. And young people, listen to me. If you have not dealt with rough stuff, it's around the corner. And as you get older, guess what happens? There's more and more rough stuff, right? And eventually you're like, whoa. And you're kind of met with this command in a different light because Paul says to these believers in Thessalonica, always rejoice. So that's to be our attitude. We're not always going to be happy. We know that. But as believers in Christ, it ought to be about joy. That I can have joy in the midst of adverse circumstances. Is that okay? It should be okay. You need to be shaking your head. It's okay. You can do it with the help of the Lord. Now he gets to a second command. He says, without ceasing, pray. Mm. I told you it was going to be hard. These are hard things. It demands that all of us, myself first, evaluate my life as a believer. Is that okay? That's what Paul is asking these believers to do. In fact, he's commanding them. (laughs) He's not giving them a choice. He's saying, always rejoice, without ceasing pray. Martin Luther understood in his life he came to understand the importance, I believe, of this verse. He said these words, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. How does that sound to you? How does that grab you? Yeah, well, he lived in a different time. Yeah, they didn't have internet and... You know, they didn't have phones and they didn't have all that stuff. So what do they have to do anyway? I don't know. But I can guarantee you this, there were distractions then too. Just like there are today. Except we know what our distractions are, right? Let's just answer for ourselves. How many of you would say a phone can be a distraction from private time with the Lord? Answer? Yes. Facebook 
Can it take me away from some private time with the Lord? I'm just asking questions. You fill in the blanks. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, they can. And to think about his habit of spending three hours in prayer. (laughs) Maybe some of you are sitting there going, Pastor Thad, I'm not quite sure what I'd pray for for three hours. Okay, that's the first step. (laughs) You're on the step in the right direction. One of the things that can happen to you as a Christian in your life, and hopefully does, is as you mature in the Lord, prayer is not so much about me asking God for things, but it's me recognizing who He is. Is that okay? And what He's done for me. So, without ceasing, he says, pray. Harry Ironside said this, We can't always be uttering words of prayer, but we can be in the attitude of prayer continuously. That is, we can always be in the spirit of dependence on the Lord. I like that a lot. Can I tell you I like that a lot? It's my top ten now. Of all quotes I've seen... Because I love that last part. We can always be in the spirit of dependence on the Lord. Do you think that's hard for people in North America? To have that spirit of dependence upon the Lord? Shake your head, yes. It is. Because we have lots of things. Like, what do we really need? Why am I going to go to the Lord in prayer anyway? Unless I'm hurting, or I got a relative who's sick, or I need this, or I need that. That's why I say we back up and we go, hold on a second. Prayer is much more about him than it is us. We need the discipline of praying, but when I come before the Lord, it's about him. And so when you think in the context, you're like, these believers, he's telling them, hey, look, without ceasing pray, what do they have to pray about and be thankful for? I can think of a couple of things right offhand, can't you? We just read about them. So the challenge is for us is to have that continual dependence daily on the Lord. In other words, this is how it translates. I can't live without you, Lord. Can't do it. Second point. The verb pray in the, uh, is in the form of a command in the original language. In other words, he's not telling these Thessalonican believers... Uh, hey, look, if you want to do that, if you have time to do it, you know, if it fits in your schedule, what's he telling them to do? Pray. Pray. How many of you would, this morning, confess that you belong to Christ? How many of you can think back to the last time you had moments of silence and prayer with him? I think it's a good question. It's a command. It's not isolated to this one letter, the command. In fact, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, in the context of spiritual warfare, you know what that is? The enemy does not want you to walk with the Lord. Do you believe that? Yes. He does not want people coming to Christ, coming to faith. He's working all the time. 
Think about it, young people. How many things does the enemy hurling at you every single day? Say, Pastor Thad, I don't like when you just single us out. It'll be okay. Because you know what? Those same arrows that he's throwing at you right now, some of those will continue for a lifetime. Are you listening to me? A lifetime. You say, well, when I get Pastor Thad today, I'll be all right. No! The enemy still wants you. So when you think about the context, (laughs) no wonder Paul says pray at all times. In the spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, be aware, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. By the way, there's a good little thing there at the end. You know, pray for all the saints, all the believers. I think I'm going to give you something really practical. When you get up in the morning every day, Lord, put on my mind those people you want me to pray for. How does that sound to you? Think about if we did that as a church. Imagine, I mean, think about it for a minute. If we just said, you know, Lord, when we come to you, yeah, we've got things we want to bring to you. But my focus, first of all, is on who you are and what you've done for me. And then, Lord, I want to pray for this person and this person and this person and this person. And by the way, it's not praying, about praying for their big toe. All their big toe may be hurting. But praying that they walk with the Lord. The command's also given to us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, devote yourselves to prayer. He's not asking them if they want to do it. It's a command. Then he says, same language, keeping alert in it, except he adds something there with an attitude of what? Thanksgiving. We'll get more to that in just a few moments. The third thing we see in this short command is that the word in the original describes one coming before God with reverence. He's not your buddy. You listening to me? God is, as Isaiah said, holy, holy, holy. And guess what? Because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, we are allowed into the presence of the Lord. That's good stuff. Someone might say, well, why is it so important to come before him with reverence? Because he's God. And there is none like him. That word there also describes someone falling before the Lord. Now, I hope you hear this right. I'm I'm not getting on to us. Notice the pronoun us. But the way we come to the Lord, I think, is important too. Not in a flippant manner, but sincere. You know, one of the things that you'll know about your Christian life in terms of prayer and growth will be when you step across that line and you're honest. (laughs) Are you listening to me? Honest. Have you you just got finished reading the Psalms? We read through them 
There's some psalms in there that are like pretty straightforward, wouldn't you say? Where the author's saying, hey, Lord, this hurts. Fourth, the apostle practiced what he preached. Now, this really comes into play in your life and mine in this way. If you tell your children, hey, this is important and you need to do it this way, assuming you're a godly parent, then what do you expect your children to do? What's your expectation that they would do it? But what if you're not doing what you're telling your children to do? <laughs> the very things you say, hey, you need to do this as a believer. You need to be doing A, B, C, and D. But you're not doing it. What kind of message is that? It's hypocritical. The apostle, however, practiced what he preached. And you know what's so awesome about it? We don't have to go beyond this letter. Look what, look what he says. Chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. Paul is not only including himself, but others that were with him. In chapter 2, look at this. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God. It's their lifestyle. It's who they are. You're not just a Christian or a believer on Sunday. It's every day. You agree? So where we go, then the Lord goes with us. Paul says we constantly thank God. <laughs> Pretty good. You go to chapter 3. Look at the bottom there, kind of toward the middle actually. We night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. They have this passion to be among the believers. Let me pause for a commercial. There ought to be a passion in the life of the church to want to be with other believers, even during this unique year. Right? Paul says, we night and day keep praying. It's a pattern. They came before the Lord on a regular basis. So that's what we get just from those words there. But I want to kind of branch off and give you something extra. In terms of prayer, the Lord Jesus is our greatest example. Would you agree with that? He's our greatest example. When he was here on earth, you say he prayed? Who did he pray to? He prayed to the Father. I want to show you just a couple of things about the Lord's prayer life. We don't have time to expand on them today, but I want to give you just a few. I want to show you from Luke chapter 5 that he prayed regularly. It was just a part of his life. You know, and that's the message for us. It just needs to be a part of our life. Notice what it says in Luke 5. But he himself would often slip away. Often. He needed the Father. And he would go to the Father. 
He prayed on a regular basis. And you see that in the Gospels all through the Gospels in his life. You see that he pursued privacy. <laughs> we have some moms in here in the second service. How does a little bit of free time just to yourself without husband and kids sound to you? Can I get amen? Yes, see, they're out there. I was specifically thinking about moms. Because mothers don't seem to have as much private time. They just need that time, though. So I have a suggestion for the fathers. Come home one day and say, hey, dear, I'll take the kids for the next two hours. How's that sound to you? Now, I don't know of any mom that's going to say, well, nah, don't, don't worry about that. They're going to say, yeah. I mean, he pursued privacy. We need that time. And notice what it says, he was very intentional. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. That just speaks to intentionality. You say, yeah, but if, I, if I'm going to be alone, I've got to get up at 4.30. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, but I don't go to bed till 12.30. Go to bed at 10.30. Listen, I'm just telling you, I had, you know, if you're just looking at my life, I'm, I mean, I'm having to take an eraser and go, okay, I can't use that excuse, and I can't use that one, and I can't use that one. He pursued privacy. Thirdly, he prayed for others. He prayed for others. In the context of John 17, he prayed for his disciples. I think that there's a couple of things here that we learn. Number one, he prayed for them. Number two, he was very specific in what he prayed for them. Which ought to teach us something. That we need to be very, very specific when it comes to our prayers. Notice what he says. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Good prayer? Answer? Yeah! Hold on a second, that kind of sounds like that spiritual warfare stuff. It is. How many times, parents and grandparents, have you prayed for your children and grandchildren that the Lord would keep them from the evil one? If you're not praying that, might I suggest strongly that you do that. Because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In the context of 1 Peter, when that's written, he's talking about leadership within the church. If leadership in the church needs prayer to be away from the evil one, Guess what? We all do. But the Lord Jesus doesn't stop there in his prayer. Notice what he says. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then he says this. And young people, I want you to listen to me on this. And I'm telling you this because I love you. Notice those next words. Sanctify them in the what? Truth. 
your word or thy word is truth. Set them apart in the truth. You say, yeah, Pastor Thad, you know, I mean, truth's really relative. What's true for you is fine, and what's true for you is fine. And then I say, well, now hold on a second. Because the Lord's got a different mind. This is it. This is it. This is your manual for life. Does that sound okay to you? It's your manual. The Lord Jesus prays for his disciples and he says, set them apart in the truth. Young people, listen to me. I know there are many messages. Us older ones know this already. There are many mixed messages out there in the world. I want to encourage you when you have an issue you're working through, go to the book. You might say, well, I don't know where to go. Find somebody that does. You say, yeah, I don't know if I can talk to you. You can talk to me. My door's open. You can talk to me. Believe it or not, I was young once. So he prayed for others. That's a good discipline. And we need to pray for others in terms of their spiritual walk. And then he says, it says uh, in the New Testament to us that he prayed, your will be done. Now, I'm going to, this is another warning. This is tough. Okay, like I gave you the two minute, really ten minute, I'm five minute, I'm giving you one minute. Thirty seconds, ten seconds, here we go. This is tough. Jesus prayed to the Father, your will be done. Now, in the context of the passage, he's about to go to the cross. Notice what he says. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Question, did he mean that? Answer, yes. Hey, I like that. Yes. 100% in his humanity, he meant that. If this cup of suffering can pass, let it pass. But notice how he ends that. Yet not as what? I will, but as thou will. You say, that sounds familiar. That language does. I'm glad it does. Do you know that in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6, in what is really the Lord teaching the disciples to pray. The prayer of our Lord is in John 17. In Matthew 6, he's teaching his disciples to pray. And listen to part of that. In Matthew 6, he says, they are to pray this way, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that okay with you? Think about that a minute. Because we get in situations where we want what, what? We want hard situation. Hard situation. Really hard situation. Instead of illustrating your life, I'll just illustrate mine. It's almost been a year since I had open heart surgery. I remember when they wheeled me out in the hallway, right before they took me, my wife was with me. 
And we both were like, Lord, your will be done. <laughs> Whatever that is, I don't know what it is. But your will be done. And if it is your will that I'm going to be with you, hey, great. Paul said it, to live is Christ, to die is what? Awful? Is that what he said? For the believer to die is what? Gain. Woo! That's good stuff. But I think that the church today could probably use a little help in that area. To die is gain. And I know how it hits you because... If I was sitting out there, it would hit me like this. Well, not that, that's hard. Because I have this situation in my life, and what if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to turn out? That's why it's so imperative that we catch on and grab on to what Jesus said to his disciples, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we trust him in that. Does that make sense? Because we're all going to face sickness and suffering. That is the bottom line. You say, well, that, is there anything wrong with praying to be healed? Absolutely not. He's the great physician. Who else am I going to go to? He's the one. So I'm going to him, Lord, I have this issue. I'm praying, Lord, you deliver it, right? But if you don't, thy will be done. Is that okay? I think that all of us have struggled with that at times, probably. And probably will continue to do that. Right, that was just the introduction. I'm just kidding. That was point two. We come to point three. This is another hard one. You see these trilogy of truths are hard. And they're hard if you break them down. If not if you just read over them, you've got to break it down. So he says, be thankful. Be thankful. Look in verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Immediately one pauses and says, Everything? We're going to see it's much deeper, too, than just in everything. Where Paul really, I mean, it's like a gut check in Ephesians 5. I'm going to show you that in a minute. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Look what F.F. F. Bruce says about ingratitude. Ingratitude marks the life of a pagan. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. A pagan is not grateful. Even though there's common grace, the, fall, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Think about how incredible this is going to be. Those who reject him as Savior and Lord are one day going to bow the knee to him and proclaim that he's Lord. <laughs> we get to do that because we love him. But the world will do it because he is Lord. F.F. Bruce says, Ingratitude marks the life of a pagan. Romans 1.21 confirms this truth. Paul wrote, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. I didn't mention this part in the first service. You ever read the story of the ten lepers? The leprosy was awful. How many came back to the Lord, do you know, out of the ten? One. 
I have to teach that one. There's a lot to that, but sometimes. That's a great, great passage of Scripture. Notice what Paul continued to write, but became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. And then F.F. Bruce goes on to say, children of the Lord are expected to abound in being thankful. If I just went down the road, I'm not going to do it because it'll scare some of you to death. But if we went down the road and I said, what do you have to be thankful for today? What'd you say? If I limited it and said you couldn't just say anything, but you had to say what you were thankful for in relationship to the Lord, what would you say? You know, the prelude, did you catch it this morning? Great is thy faithfulness. I told him first, I love preludes. Preludes put me in the right frame of mind. Because I'm entering, I'm, I'm coming out of a parking lot, and I'm walking into a building, and I'm coming in, and I'm sitting down, and it's like, here I am. And it's almost like we have to be reminded of, why are we here? Why are we here? To worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we need to think about this issue of being thankful, guys. I want to break this down for us. I want you to see four things here. First of all, give thanks is a present tense imperative calling for this to be their continual attitude. Always be thankful. <laughs> In everything he says, give thanks. He wants this to be their continual attitude. I like what Wayne Barber says about this. He says, Thanksgiving expresses what ought never to be absent from any of our devotions. I really like that. That is so practical. How many of you have daily devotions? Well, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm put you on the spot. But you have that? You know what that is? I just assume you know what that is. That might be a bad assumption. Especially if you're a new believer. I can tell you this, that... Us getting into the Word of God every day is food for our soul. We need it. It's nourishment. It gives us proper perspective. I need to be in the Word, but I need to be in prayer as well. And so my devotions, as I set aside time to do those, Wayne Barber's saying, hey, it never needs to be absent of thankfulness. Never. So I want to challenge you to do something, if that's okay. I'm going to give you homework. You can do it or not do it. When your teacher says in class, do your homework, well, you better do it if you want to understand what's going on. I say it's that important here. Wouldn't it be great if just this week, we'll start with this week, just this week, when you're having your devotions, that you would list in your journal or on a piece of paper if you don't journal three things that you're thankful for in relationship to who God is and what He's done for you. Just three. I mean, that ought to take you no time. Every day. We do not have a problem in this culture focusing on ourselves. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's focusing on the Lord that is the difficult thing for us at times. 
So maybe that would help us. The second point that needs to be made in this particular verse is that Paul is speaking in the active voice. And the active voice in the Greek language brings to light that each person makes a personal choice. So he says here, in everything give thanks. So you're going to make that choice. You agree with that? You're going to make that choice. All of us make choices all the time. You make a choice of whether you're going to put the deodorant on or not. Please make the choice of yes. Right? Do that. You make the choice of whether you're going to brush your teeth or not. Please brush your teeth. Fifth and sixth grade boys tend to lack in both of those areas. So I'm encouraging you, if you're a young boy, please start doing that. You want to smell good, right? Under here and here, you better put on deodorant and brush your teeth. Well, that's a choice. We make choices all the time. And what Paul is pointing out to these Thessalonican believers is, listen, that's a choice. And one day, guys, all of us in Christ are going to stand before the Lord, not condemned, but we'll make, we will be judged for our choices. And you take that to the bank of how we served him. That's going to happen. But notice that little bracket there. That each person makes a personal choice enabled by the Spirit of the Lord to continually give thanks. So it's the Spirit of the Lord that's going to help us in this. It's not something we can do in our own strength. We have to have the Spirit of the Lord to enable us to do that. And you know what's so awesome is the Spirit of the Lord is in you. There's never a moment where he's not if you belong to Christ. And so the Spirit of the Lord is the one who enables us to give thanks, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, which leads us to number to letter C. The phrase, in everything, is placed first in the Greek language for emphasis. Okay, so he's really emphasizing in everything and everything and everything. Because if you're one of those Thessalonian believers, you're like, did he mean everything? He meant everything. Now, notice that the preposition there is the word in, in everything. So you've had conversations with people, and you might have even said to them, in everything you need to give thanks. This is what the Lord says. And you're like, yeah, we can give thanks in everything, knowing that he's in control, right? Yes, we can. Even in the worst circumstance. But did you know that there's an even more difficult phrase for us to consider in Ephesians chapter 5? I want you to turn back there, and I want you to look with me at what Paul says in Ephesians 5. This is one that's very difficult. In 1 Thessalonians, he uses the preposition in. But he doesn't use that in... Ephesians chapter 5. It's different language. But it's in the context, it's different too. Because in 1 Thessalonians 5, you'll see he just gives this list of things that they need to do and not do. But when you come to Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking about the behavior of the believer and how he walks. He uses the word peripateo five times. This is how you need to walk. Right? Don't walk like the Gentiles, walk in light, all those things. He's five times he does that. But I want you to begin with me in verse 15 of chapter 5. Look what it says. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. 
making the most of your time because the days are evil. You say, wow, the days were evil then? Yeah, they were evil then, they're evil now. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now notice verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That word means excess. But be filled with the Spirit. That word means controlled. So I don't need to be controlled by anything else. I need to be controlled by the Spirit. Can we agree on that? Right? That's what Paul's saying. Now if I'm controlled by the Spirit, these are the things that are going to be produced. Look at this, verse 19. But be controlled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Where do you get those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? In the book. Right? That's where you get them. Notice what he says there. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Has that ever happened to you? Where you've been walking by the Spirit, you've been, you're being controlled by the Spirit, and you're just out there singing praises to the Lord. Has that ever happened to you? Now notice, this person he's describing is the one who is being controlled by the Spirit. Look at verse 20. Always giving thanks. What's that next word? For. All things. Uh Uh-oh. Man, that's tough. We have in, in 1 Thessalonians, we have for. You say, well, now, hold on. The Lord wouldn't ask me to give thanks for everything. Yeah, he did. In fact, it's in the context, and this is very, very important, of being controlled by the Spirit. So if I'm being controlled by the Spirit, I can give thanks for all things. Even horrific things. I'm not thankful necessarily for the earthquake, but I can give thanks for the fact that the Lord is in control of that. Right? You believe that? He's in control of all things. And so Paul is making the point here that when one is controlled by the Spirit of God, they can give thanks for all things. And notice he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That's tough language. That's tough language. You know, sometimes people are, and especially as in regards to health, there are warning signs given to people, right? Graciously given. And the result may not be good, but I can give thanks to the Lord for the fact that He is with me and He never forsakes me no matter what I'm going through. That's hard to hear. Because when we come to the Lord, we want it how? The way we want it. But sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait a while. That's the reality of the Christian life. You remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? He asked, he begged the Lord three times to take it from him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And what did the Lord tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. (laughs) Right? My grace is sufficient for you. My favor is the word grace there. My favor right, is sufficient for you. Well, the last, that should say D instead of four. It's simply black and white. You say, that's a weird statement. Well, when you consider the context, I don't think it's so strange. 
Notice the end of the verse there in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what's God's will for us in Christ Jesus in verse 18? That we what? In everything give thanks. That's his will for us. Some, have, some theologians have even included verses 16 through 18 in that. But I think in the immediate context, he's referring specifically to being thankful in all things. Do you know it's not the only time that Paul uses the phrase, this is the will of God? How does that strike you? I mean, think about that for a minute. How does that strike you when you read, this is the will of God? What does that mean? It means he wants you to do it, Right? If you just boil it down to simple language. Well, go back to chapter 4. And I want you to see in chapter 4 the other time that he uses the phrase for this is the will of God. Notice verse 3 of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. This is very important. You need to be looking at it. Look at what it says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, that you be set apart in your behavior in the context. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will. Young people and older people, God's will is that we abstain from sexual immorality, that we stay away from sin, sexual sin. And notice what he says that each of you, verse 4, know how to possess his own vessel, his own body, in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, so here, here, this is what we have. We have the contrast. The Gentiles who do, do not know God are going to live like they do not know God. But as a believer, we have God's will in terms of what we're to do with our body. Right? It says it right here. There's no getting around it. He says that you, each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So what he's saying is you do know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. Look at verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. If that device that you have in your hand is a problem and leads you to sites that you don't need to be on, get rid of the phone. You say, well, that's drastic. Yeah, it is. It is drastic. Or protect yourself so that you can't go to those sites. Or whether it's Facebook or the internet. There's so many arrows that the enemy can throw at us in that area. Paul says, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity but in sanctification. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man. But the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know I read that? I don't go, man, this is, this is hard and 
man, I don't like that, what God says. I look at it and go, man, God's protecting me. God's protecting. It's his protection plan. You know, being thankful in all things and always for all things is a large mountain. But I want to share with you a story of a lady that you probably don't know much about. You've heard a lot about her husband, but very little about her. Her name is Ruth Graham. She's with the Lord. How many of you knew Billy Graham? Right, you're familiar with his name, right? Billy Graham was an incredible evangelist. He gets a lot of criticism from people who sit on high mountains and judge him. But the reality is that man was committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what he had that a lot of pastors don't have? Opportunities to sit in front of world leaders. People from every faith. And I've heard his testimony, especially in his latter years. If you ever want to watch someone just preach and you're going to go, oh my goodness, how's he going to... Billy Graham in his young days, but he brought it forth. And it was black and white. And he would say, hey, look, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. You know, Christ died for you. You can live eternally with him if you trust in him as your savior. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get beat around the bush. But he was married to a woman named Ruth. They had two children. Both pretty famous, actually, in terms of the Christian circles. But I want you to listen to the words of this particular article, book, that I have. It says, when her children were rebelling against the Lord, Ruth Graham found herself worrying a decent amount. That happens to you as parents, don't you? Don't. It does. I mean, your kids rebel and you're, you're concerned, you're worried even. It goes on to say, one night while she was overseas, she woke up suddenly in the middle of the night worrying about Franklin. How many of you know who Franklin Graham is? A lot of you guys, you may not know Billy, but you know Franklin. What happened in his life is a miracle, how God turned him around. But she's overseas. Her children are back home. She's struggling. It's the middle of the night. She's worrying about her son. It says she tried to pray but was suffering so from anxiety that one fear upon another was piling up. She tried to go back to sleep but couldn't do it. You ever been there with your kids or your grandkids? Listen to me, young people. You know there's a 95% chance you're still going, you're going to get married and you're going to have kids. So you better listen up. Right? It's coming. In the next, what, 15 years from now, you have to probably be married. Right? Have a family. So you need to be thinking ahead. How do you want to raise your children? So listen to this mother whose heart is breaking. She tried to go back to sleep but couldn't do it. It was then that the Spirit of the Lord convinced her that reading her Bible would be good medicine at 3 o'clock in the morning. I told in the first service, I mean, how many of us as parents and grandparents have been up those times concerned and worried about her kids? She opens her Bible, and when she opened her Bible, it opened right to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You familiar with those verses? 
as she read the word, she realized what was missing in her prayer life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let it be made known unto God. But you got to do verse 6 to get verse 7. So she reads the words and then she springs into action. It says she put down her Bible and began worshiping the Lord for who he is and what he is. She began to thank God for giving her this one she loves so deeply. And listen to this. She even thanked him, meaning the Lord, for the difficult times which had taught her so much. That section closes with these words. She learned that night that in the midst of darkness, one can be thankful to the only one who's in control of all things. I don't know about you guys, but this is tough stuff. This is one of those that you're like, whoa, man, hurts, doesn't it? But we all need those disciplines. And when we think about the discipline of giving thanks, one of the passages of Scripture that just absolutely blows my mind is in the Gospels when Jesus is about to be crucified, and he's there in the upper room, and he, he gives thanks and this morning, we're going to give thanks to the Lord. But I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Before we have the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me just say this before we begin this part of our service. If you're visiting with us, um, we don't have closed communion here. We want everyone who is a believer in Christ... And in right relationship with the Lord, walking with the Lord to celebrate with us this morning. You do not have to be a member here at Grace. You need to be a member of the body of Christ. You need to know the Lord. And, and you need to be in right relationship to him. What I mean by that is our fellowship needs to be um, right. And so I want to remind us of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to this. Verse 28. But let a man examine himself... And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. All right? And so it's imperative that we as believers examine our lives. What do we find when we examine our lives? Warts. We find warts, don't we? Right? We all sin. And so what do we do? We pray and we confess that sin, as John talks about in 1 John chapter 1, which is a book of fellowship. He says if we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to come to him and confess before him our sin. That's what Paul's telling these believers in Corinth to do. Hey, you need to examine yourself. And they weren't doing that. They weren't doing it right. In fact, they were coming to this agape feast, this love feast, and they were drunk and they weren't sharing together. And we're talking about believers. Believers. And so he's correcting their actions, and he's saying, look, you need to examine yourself, 
And this is the reason that you need to examine yourself, beginning in verse 29. He says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Mm. So it's important. We'll see that in just a second. A little bit more he writes about that. He says, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. That word sleep there is the word death. They're dead. Some were weak. Some were sick, some were dead, because they had not judged the body rightly. And so he says to them, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. So in other words, we need to judge ourselves correctly. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. Do you know the Lord disciplines us? He does. He chastens us. The author of Hebrews says that in chapter 12. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. Man, draw a line in the sand. Listen to me. These were believers who weren't doing it right. They had sin. Paul warns them. But they're not like the world because notice what he says there in verse 32. The world is what? The world's condemned. They aren't. There is therefore now what no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So he says, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. And so Paul talks about the importance of examining ourselves. And I want to give you time to do that. It's very, very critical in the life of a believer, all of our lives. But back up to verse 23. Look what it says. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we come today, we're, we're partaking to remember what the Lord has done for us. He says... In verse 25, in the same way he took the cup, and the cup was the cup of suffering. Also, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Guys, it's amazing to me that right before his crucifixion, he gave thanks. I thought a lot about that this week. Um, his relationship with his disciples was special for sure. What did the cross accomplish? The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Remission of sin. That day on the cross, our Lord, before he went to the cross, he was flogged. That's a brutal picture. They drove nails into his hands and his feet. They put a crown of thorns on him. They humiliated him with a sign. If you're the king, get off the cross, right? 
So they thrust the, uh, the, the sword in his side. And think about this, that when he was on that cross, he knew that he would be separated from who? His father. And it had never happened. But it happened then. Why he cried from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Think about this, guys. He did that for us. He did it for us. His body was broken and his blood was shed. So this morning, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes where you are just to bow and thank the Lord for what he's done for you. If you need to confess some things to him, do that. And then I'm going to pray for the wafer that we'll take in remembering his body. I thank you for dying in my place. I thank you for your body that, Lord, was bruised for us. And I pray this morning as we partake of this wafer that we will remember your sacrifice and that we would be thankful people for what your death accomplished for us on the cross at Calvary. And Lord, we would be remiss if we didn't say, after they put you in that grave, three days later, you arose from the dead. Victorious. It circles around back to the hope that Paul was giving the believers in Thessalonica. So we praise your name for the hope that we have because of what you were willing to do for us. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I ask that you would take the top part of it. There's two flaps there. The top one is for the wafer. And the bottom one is for the juice. I just ask that you take the wafer. In remembering our Lord's body. Let's take it together. Buddy, still, I'm going to ask you that you would pray for the cup this morning before we partake. Father, we do uh, thank you for the privilege we have this morning to come before a holy God to give thanks. Father, for uh, these brothers and sisters, uh, it's a great day that we can worship you together. And Father, uh, 
I thank you for a pastor, for a message that gives a true picture of who you are and what you've done, how you love us. Uh, we don't know why, but we thank you. And God, I thank you that uh, as we come before your table that we never forget why we come. And Father, that uh, you never forget us. And Father, we thank you that uh, you're a holy God, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and you paid it all for us. And that uh, we can spend eternity with you and all the blessings of life, God, that you have for us. It don't get any better than that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's take the juice and drink together and remember the blood of our Lord that was sacrificed. Ron? close out today with um, just a prayer and make this a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord a little chorus that we used to do a long time ago Jesus we just want to thank you let's sing together Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Thank you for being so Jesus, we just want to praise you. Jesus, we just want to praise you. Jesus, we just want to praise you. Praise you for being so Savior, we just want to serve you. Savior, we just want to serve you. Savior, we just want to serve you. Serve you for being so Jesus, we know you are 
want to remind you before you uh, go home today that Wednesday night we will be having a Thanksgiving Eve service. It'll start at 6.30. Uh, we will keep it to an hour and um, that way you have time to do any last minute things you need to do before Thanksgiving. I think it's very, very important for us in this year of uh, chaos to come together and be reminded of how much we have to be thankful for. One of our members uh, will be sharing with us on Wednesday night for a few minutes. You'll, I think you'll enjoy uh, his testimony, what the Lord is, is doing in his life and the life of his family. So I encourage you to come, 6.30 on Wednesday night. And um, It's been good to see you today. I trust you have a good week. If I don't see you Wednesday night, you have a great Thanksgiving with your family. And always remember, we have so, so much to be thankful for just because of who he is. You are dismissed.